We've been hinting at this episode for a while. Indeed, indeed. Now that we've been playing it for, fuck, man, how long have we been playing it? Uh, I would say close to a year, not a whole year, probably more like eight months. I think we started in the fall of 2021, maybe like the winter, so November, December. Yeah, early winter maybe. Yeah. uh, So we've been playing Blades consistently now for a while, and we've had the crew shrink and get big and then shrink yeah it's gone through some changes eric and me were switching off gming but now i'm the primary gm because eric has a lot of uh stuff on his plate i got too much D right now so i'm just holding down that ship he's got too many campaigns rolling right now for him <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's not too many but one more would be too many Let's say that. And, you know, one of us learning blades and being familiar, so we're basically, like, off book, is, uh, it's good to have, like, one person in your group, if they're, like, knows this game really well and can, like, play off book for different games, even if it's different people, that's good. Also, like, I still learn the game better at being a player. Right. Like, and I think both of us get to understand how the game is supposed to flow and... Right how it works more and more just by playing it whether we're the GM or the or the player, you know. So Absolutely. Yeah, let's we're going to talk about Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark was first published on January 30th, 2017 after a successful Kickstarter campaign. I think it got funded in one day. It was one of those where it just like boom. The guy who created it, his name is John Jonathan Harper. And he does have, he's continuing to make other games. Blades in the Dark is what he's known for and probably will be his legacy when right. he's long gone. He will, he will uh, be remembered for Blades in the Dark. Who knows? He might create another hit, but he's got like six or seven games on itch.io. Oh, uh, okay. That'll be in the doobly doo. So, for instance, he's got a game called Aegon, which is like Greek heroes. He's got one. It's called Storm Furies, which I think uh, is like sci-fi, and he's got all kinds of stuff. Nice. And it was the winner of the Golden Geek RPG in 2015 and the Indie RPG of the Year in 2016. Oh, excuse me, the Golden Geek RPG of the Year in 2015. So it won some awards very quickly. I think even before it was actually published, it was only available as a digital document. Nice. And it's currently published by evil hat productions which has a bunch of badass games yeah it's got like thirsty sword lesbians and that one looks so crazy dude it does i want to play it it looks it looks interesting they publish fate they publish oh fate uh, yeah i think they published the um the dresden files game and oh cool they have a ton of cool games they didn't necessarily produce them but they have the licenses for them right now so blades in the dark is heavily based on a earlier game called apocalypse world and apocalypse world is where we get the what we'll get into them but clocks playbooks actions uh engagement roles stress all these things really come from apocalypse world Mm. and that is was designed by uh vincent and i hope i'm saying her name right megway megui baker their husband and wife and they also make a bunch of crazy games, like one called Dogs in the Vineyard, which basically you're like this enforcer of a uh, 
a fantasy Mormon society back in like the 1800s, like when it's like the desert. You tell me about this, actually. Yeah, yeah, I have. Because I'm like, wow, I need to play that. They have one where you play a person going into a haunted house and uh, the storyteller or the DM figure uh, plays this ghost in the house and the ghost is trying to kill you and it's the cards are stacked against the player. So most likely the player will lose. Nice. They're, they're very creative and thinking outside the box quite a bit. And so there's been a bunch of games that have been spawned from Apocalypse World. Uh, they're called Powered by the Apocalypse Games. So Dungeon World is really popular. City of Mist, Monster Hearts, Monster of the Week, Cult Divinity Lost, which I did not know because Cult is an old game. So I think the Divinity Lost is kind of like the 2E, I think, and I think they revamped it. Right. And there's a ton more if you go to the Wikipedia page. So Monster of the Week is, uh, if any of you listen to actual plays, Adventure Zone does a Monster of the Week campaign. There you go. Alas for the Awful Sea, Avatar Legends, the role-playing game, Apillion, Far Flung, Fellowship, Ironsworn. There's just, it's this uh, proliferation of these type of games. So we'll talk about some of the things that sets Blades in the Dark apart in terms of how it's different from D&D. But a lot of these games will have similar things like playbooks, clocks, stress, flashbacks, etc. Right. That being said... According to the Forged in the Dark community, which is what you were alluding to, so there's some other games that are based on Blades in the Dark. Right. Girl by Moonlight, Scum and Villainy, and Band of Blades are the three, and I think there's a couple in production right now. Um, And they're all variations on the Blades in the Dark game. Uh, But it's more like a distant cousin of uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. There's enough changes that it's not doesn't feel like a clone Mm. and i've never played powered by the apocalypse or uh, apocalypse world rather so i don't know if that's true or not but i get the sense that yeah that's true the tone is quite different for uh, blades in the dark and powered by the apocalypse is very adult so trigger warning uh about what i'm about to say but there's a lot of rules for uh sexual experiences and sexuality and you can engage with other players in that way so right apparently uh apocalypse world can make some players uncomfortable so i've heard i'm sure any of these games can if they're set in the right zone like that yeah so powered by apocalypse and blades in the dark have really at this point saturated the tabletop rpg community and there's a lot of things we all use like clocks right or letting players choose what they're going to roll we've talked about this before but uh, it probably, you know, when we look back uh, on the history of tabletop games in 20 years, we're going to see Blades in the Dark as this defining influential thing along with uh, Powered by the Apocalypse and Apocalypse World. Right. I think so, too. So that's all I got for our origins right there. Well, I think that just like you said, uh, even a lot of the major actual play stuff that's out there almost all of them have a situation where they've someone in the group has played blades and is has like shared this idea Mm -hmm. so you see it utilized in other people's games Mm -hmm. totally which is you know one of the big reasons that you should definitely try other game systems because you'll see all sorts of benefits to make your own kind of D D or your own role-playing game by smashing all the systems together and using pieces that you like 
that work real well. Sure. Like clocks mm -hmm. are super cool. And I think um, you might find that you like a Powered by the Apocalypse game better than D&D. &D. Right. Uh, you might find that D&D &D isn't a good fit for you. And both of those, both games are equally valid. I like them both right. for different reasons because they're, you don't get the same experience. Right. Oh, not at all. Yeah. So let's talk about what makes Blades different from D&D. &D. Oh, so much. So we're going to be speaking to people who haven't necessarily ever played Blades in the Dark. Maybe you've played D&D. &D. Maybe you listen to our podcast and you play neither and you just want to listen to us flap our lips. That's cool too. Yeah. So... This might all seem like white noise in terms of, oh, here's some more terms that they're talking about now. But right. we're going to target this to people who play D&D &D but not Blades in the Dark. Um, so tell me, regale me, what makes Blades in the Dark different? Well, I think that even before jumping into the mechanics, I would want to say the setting is quite unique. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Duskval or Duskwall or however you want to say it. It's very unique. It's a very weird world where it's sometime in the future and the sun has burned out. The cities, some of the cities, are surrounded by these giant lightning barriers that are powered by this leviathan, or another word they use is demon blood, demonic weird stuff to keep whatever is in the wastes out of the city. And the wastes is basically, if you're not in civilization, you're in the wastes. And it's insanity out there. Monsters, ghosts, all sorts of things. And they say that due to whatever this apocalyptic event was that burned out the sun and the people's reaction to it, something happened and now there is a ghost field or some sort of supernatural energy that is now accessible by everybody. And it permeates the world it's a dark world it's a like you know it's very much victorian-esque uh very coal burning lantern carrying stuff it's really quite a strange place uh there's a few things they give as examples of inspirations for it i think a big one is dishonored the video game yep peaky blinders they say i mean that has that kind of vibe to it so really quick though yeah if it was just the setting that was unique, it might feel more like it was a Dishonored clone or another early influence is also the Thief games, I think, on PC and PlayStation. Oh, Thief, yeah, for sure. And also, if you look at Victorian London and the coal-burning problem, it was very smoggy and polluted. And you think of Jack the Ripper. Yep. That whole time is very similar to the vibe of Duskfall, but Duskfall is obviously the extreme version of that with monsters and demons and no sun no sun yeah it's quite strange but then you get into like okay well what's the game like what's it mm -hmm. what's it play like what do you do mm -hmm. well i mean just right out the gate using D, &D terminology though your character sheets aren't like classes you don't pick a class you pick what's called a playbook and the playbook is kind of like what you are your character is and they have a lot of different ones and a lot of like homebrew ones that you can find all over the place that are totally valid to use. You have three stats that are your basic stats and then there are skills within each of those stats that you use to do the stuff you do. Yeah, and I think that brings up a point is that even calling them stats if you play D&D &D, that gives you an initial impression, but D&D &D 
your skills and your stats are more about what your character knows, mm-hmm. not exclusively, but it's more in terms of the knowledge that your character has or the perceptions that your character has. Blades in the Dark, they literally call them actions or action ratings. Yeah. And it's about what your character can do. And so if you think about, a, you know, screenwriting 101, show, don't tell, this is all show. So it's all what is your character doing rather than, you know, describing how your character is feeling. So this is a very cinematic, action-oriented type game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily combat, but just more cinematic in that way. Cinematic, very narrative forward. Mm -hmm. The system relies heavily on, not heavily, but it's kind of like an open kind of gaming for a little while, figuring the world out, doing things. But then it comes down to what's called the score. And that's really where a lot of the game is played, is in the score. Going back to the playbooks, there's a, you know, they kind of have archetypes. There's these kind of broad statements of like, this one's a spider, this one's a hound, and you're like, well, what does that even mean? You know, this one's a, what do they call a cutter? Mm-hmm. You know, each one gets to start with a certain amount of action rate, action dots. They're, They're called action dots, and instead of a number, you have five dots, and you, you're trying to fill that, get your dots up to a maximum amount. Uh, we should mention this game is not done with like a D20. It's a pool system that you have like D6s. Is what you use. It's only D6. Only D6s. You succeed by having more D6s to roll, and your DC is always fixed. So mm-hmm. one through three is a failure. Four to five is a mixed success, so it's a success with some consequences. And then a six is a like outright success. And if you get a double six, mm-hmm. it's like a uh, critical success. Crit so success. it's like a nat 20 in D&D. Yeah, for sure. Um, to get to the game structure, go back to it really quick. You have free play, mm-hmm. and then you have your score, which in Blades in the Dark, another big thing is that you're all criminals. You're all scoundrels. Everybody is a morally gray character where D&D, you might have like a pure good paladin, or you could have a almost like ridiculously evil character if you want. But everybody in Blades in the Dark is more like a Game of Thrones character. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be morally gray, and they're they're willing to flex their morals, so to speak. They're willing to bend their morals to accomplish what they want as well. Yeah. It's... So usually there's some kind of criminal score, like maybe robbing a bank or kidnapping someone or... Assassination. Yeah, assassination, moving illegal content from one part of the city to the other. Yeah. And then you have downtime, uh, which is, again, more regimented than D&D town time and then you go back into free play so you have this natural cycle and sometimes the score will go really quick and you can do another score if you want yeah sometimes it takes the whole time we're playing sometimes it's a little protracted it's a lot of fun especially if you're like 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 we just keep saying like blades in the dark scratches a certain itch in the RPG world and i think it's really fun cuz you're not you're not trying for your character to survive everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, your real goal is the crew to survive everything. The crew is what you're trying to push forward. So you being a character, you're just a member of this kind of gang. So if you die, you can just make another character that joins the gang. Mm-hmm. There's not... I mean, in our game, we have Eric, who's lived through quite a bit. So the character his character is pretty powerful so you don't really get a lot of this super powerful characters in blades unless they've had a real good time rolling for 
a while. And also, if they're if the GM gets a little hand wavy yeah. and awards them too many things, it's going to come back to bite him. Yeah, as you know, the GM's kind of still learning how to make it work, <laughs> and then realizes yeah. too late that oh, I should have been handing consequences out stronger than that. Shit. Yeah, yeah. So here's a little quote. Ian mentioned something which is fiction first. And that is kind of the, at the tip of the spear, front-facing philosophy that Harper talks about in the book. And I have, I have a bit of a quote here. So, uh, when something seems weird or a situation resolves in a weird way, back out to the level of the fictional narrative. What's going on? What are you trying to do? Which mechanic is suited for this? Don't try to force a particular mechanic into the fiction. Take the fiction first. Ah, see that? Fiction first. And then use the mechanics to support it. Again, it's almost my preferred style of play before I ever knew what this was called was, you're this character in this world, how would they react? Not, what is the optimal mechanic to make my character succeed the most? Right. How would they react in this situation? And if you lean into your flaws, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit, you actually get experience. Yeah. That's the other thing. So it rewards you by going back to that, uh, I think it was the gentleman at WebDM, but they talk about whatever you award experience to for your players, that's what they will do more of. Right. Oh, for sure. And so the game is telling you, hey, lean into the weaknesses. Lean into what makes your character worse in a way and you will be rewarded for that right. which is a just genius move i think one of the things that blades has taught me is and eric's a super big person to this is you know uh you have a word for it but it's where you stop handling your characters with like kid gloves and you uh mm-hmm. you just really kind of jump into them and if they die they die like it's been a real big eye-opener for me GMing this to see character death and what makes that kind of thing fun in dungeons and dragons yeah and I think it would be fun to actually, another thing to import over into D&D and see how it works is the fact that, like Ian was saying, your crew, which is the, we would call it the party in D&D, but your, your gang of criminals is a, explicitly a crew. So you give them a name, they have a level, they have, you get abilities by being part of that crew. And there's assassins and thieves and thugs and different criminal archetypes you could think of right uh mafia or chinese triads or um the japanese version is a great example like you could easily take blades in the dark transfer it over to tokyo and make it the gangs over there be super easy oh for sure like the yakuza and stuff like that the yakuza there you go yeah you could do you could call it yakuza it would just be reskinning basically and it would be super easy too. be super easy so the crew is really the main focus that is the main character right and your playbooks or your your specific character will die off or they might last for a little bit or you might get bored and want to play something else because you could play a whisper which is they interact with the ghost field and they can talk to spirits and if a ghost comes around most people get terrified the whisper doesn't or you might want to be a cutter which is a brawler or a hound which tracks and snipes or there's all kinds of different ways to play yeah i think the spider is the one that's like influential planner kind of person right they're also highly social Social. which we've never really done many social scores but you could think of like oceans 11 right Uh, is it danny danny ocean would be a spider he knows all the people he has he knows all the secrets he knows what strings to pull to get the levers of power moving right right that's a good comparison and yeah we haven't done a lot it's 
That's mostly due to me a little bit and my crew. Like, a crew's usually not too keen on that. Well, it's just, it's so fun to play. I mean, you want to be criminals and go break stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, it's a really fun place to start. You want to assassinate and you want to steal. Yeah. That's a fun place to start. It works really well. Right. And then we can always break out from there. We've done some social stuff, you know. Yeah, but it's never been the focus. Right. It's never been the focus. We don't have anybody trying to con their way into, like, the upper echelons mm-hmm. of society, for instance. It's true. I would love to, because Duskfall has a big, especially if you go to DM's Guild, there's a map pack you can buy of Duskfall. It's the whole city in detail. You can zoom in. It has the districts cut up. You can zoom in even more. Somebody went to the trouble of labeling every street and neighborhood. I think it'd be really fun to start off in a neighborhood and be like small-time criminals, and you only get to venture out as you gain in power. Right. So as your crew levels up, you can start going to other districts. You mm. can start going over here. But more like Grand Theft Auto where parts of the city are unlocked or locked to you until you sort out this very localized area first. Right. Which I think would be a lot of fun. Because you could get to know an area really well. It's less work for the GM in terms of factions. And that is another thing is factions are definitely in D&D. Um, but if you want to see faction play done right and how you can get your head around it as a GM, Blaze in the Dark is the best example. Yeah. Like, it's so fun to run factions. There's so many. You don't have to use them all. They're very colorful and still loose enough that you don't have to know every single thing about every faction. Interesting that you say that because I wanted to mention this. As you read through the book, it tells you over and over and over again, this is just a setup. You don't have to use any of this, or you could use it all. Mm-hmm. It's up to you and your players to figure out what your Duskfall is like. Right. Everything in the book is meant to be a little bit vague, so you use your imagination to create what you want. Right. And it's in what a, it's fun being on the Reddit for this because I see questions asked a lot because there's they're not real specific. So people mm-hmm. always have these like very specific questions and most of people's answers are like, well, you could do this. And then someone else is like, or you could do this or you could do this. Right. And I feel like if I was going to give anybody advice for if they'd never played RPGs, start with Blades in the Dark. Don't start with D&D because Blades in the Dark teaches you how to be flexible mm. D- and I mean the downside is you might feel like D&D is too restrictive at that point yeah. <laughs> but having that flexibility as a player or a GM is one of the best skills and qualities you can have yeah. because oh, yeah. I mean all you need to do is go listen to what Jeremy Crawford says and he says look once you start playing this game once you do Dragon Heist it's your Dragon Heist it's your game now you can do whatever you want with it so most game designers, I won't say all, but that is the philosophy of the day is, look, take this and make it yours. It's not a big deal. You don't have to do follow everything to the letter. You can. But Blades in the Dark is like the exemplar of that where, look, we're not going to give you all the information because you have to figure it out. Right. Absolutely. In our Dusk Vault, I've been encouraging the players to, because I feel like I wanted a little bit more magic. Mm-hmm. in our dusk fall so i have been telling players that the ghost field or this arcane energy you can do things with you can manipulate it to cause spell like things if you're one of the characters that do that and even if you're not you can still try to mm-hmm. in this game if you're not someone that's super strong that's fine 
you could still try to do strong people shit. You might do it too. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun in that aspect. So in our Duskfall, there's a lot of arcane energy and magic kind of tied to this uh, ghost field. Right. And uh, something I've only been playing with for a little while now, and I've enjoyed that quite a bit. Also, fun little point. Blades in the Dark is the kind of game with as a GM that once you kind of get the idea of it, you don't need to do planning practically at all. There's hardly any planning involved. Yeah. It's it's the anti D and D in that way where it's on the opposite end. One thing too, I mean the ghost field we keep saying this the ghost field is like the force if the force was malicious and wanted to kill you, basically. That's see that's a perfect how like my brain kind of thinks of it. That's so good. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's where the ghosts live. Everybody can do what's called a tune to it. So even if you're not skilled at all, and this goes for any action that you do, any scoundrel can make any action. It's just the worse you are at it, the more daring it is. Like the more you're just making a ballsy move. Right. Uh, and the ghost field is particularly terrifying. And here's the other thing that's interesting about the setting is when you die, your ghost doesn't just like go somewhere else it actually comes back and haunts the city so there's this whole faction called the spirit wardens that their job is once somebody dies they have to go collect it and do something secret and occult with it that nobody really knows uh, so the ghosts don't just continually haunt the city obviously a lot of ghosts slip through the cracks because there are a shit ton of ghosts running around in the city well the uh the rumor is that they dissolve the bodies in electroplasm. Now, that might not be true. What's electroplasm, pray tell? What? What's electroplasm, pray tell? Is that not the word? No, that is. But what is it? Yeah, well, exactly. What is electroplasm? It's demon blood or leviathan blood that's harvested from the giant monsters out on the ocean. Yeah, so Duskfall is a coastal city, technically, so it's it has a bay and it has a port. But the water is completely black. Like, think oil, but you can see little dots of light because there's no dots of light in the sky. No more stars. No, there are dots of light in the sky as well. That's why it's trippy because the dots in the sky and the dots below, there's like no transition. And that's what causes the disorientation is because when you're out there on the, the water, you can't see the difference between sky and water. Because it's just like starry fields that just connect. And because of that, there are Leviathan hunting ships that go out onto the ocean, but they never really venture that far because there's no way to find your way back. Right. So there's no like deep ocean voyages where you're traveling hundreds of miles out in the ocean. If you do, you're insane because you'll never come back. But there are these huge whale-sized creatures called Leviathans but they're really more like demons. They're supernatural entities that exist out there. That's so crazy. So they take Leviathan blood. They do different things with it. You can make drugs with it. You, It's what powers the electrified... Uh, it's not a fence, but the, the electrified barrier yeah. around the city. It's how you deal with ghosts, etc. So we're getting pretty close to time. But there's a few things that I thought we would want to talk about before we wrap it up sure the first is stress you want to tell us about stress yeah yeah as a as i play as the gm most of the time my perception Mm -hmm. of stress is a different thing probably than the players so stress is a resource that the players have and you start at zero and you kind of have this gauge you can think about it and you have a certain number of stress that you can spend 
if you spend too much, we call it stressing out. I don't think that's a technical term in the game or official or anything, but stressing out means you've kind of lost your mind or the pressure of the the uh, score is too much and you're done. Like you you run naked in the streets, you go into a catatonic state, anything can happen, but you're out of the score. But you can use stress to do certain things like uh, push yourself. So if you want to get a little advantage or you only roll two dice, but you want to roll three, you can push yourself for two stress. Right. If you start to take harm, and harm is what you take instead of, you know, you don't have hit points. You have a certain amount of harm you can take. And if you take too much harm, you die or you stress out. Same thing. Right. So you have this resource that, that you're constantly trying to manage as you're going through the score. And it can get really brutal if you're not careful. Right. A fun little to go along with stress. Mm-hmm. So they use stress to give themselves either abilities or extra die or change the position of the move that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And there's another fun uh, mechanic in the game that's called the devil's bargain and I feel like the devil's bargain is super fun because you can ask anytime you're going to make an action roll or attempt something in game you can ask the GM for a devil's bargain Right. and the devil's bargain is something that regardless of your success or your failure this thing is going to happen now in the game but you'll get an extra die to succeed in what you're trying to do or your position which means like your your if you succeed how well you succeed right. goes up or something and so an uh, an example would be let's say you're you're cracking a safe and the safe is really hard to crack you only have two dice and so you're like hey gm let's hear a devil's bargain and they say okay well you'll get an extra dice but the front door to this house you're in opens there you go that's a good so one it's too like, fuck I find that most of the time people don't really take devil's bargains until the last third of the score because you're usually, I got a lot of resources, I'm good. By the end, it, you're, it's just desperation. You're just like, fuck, I need shit. Right, you're just like, give me a devil's bargain. Yeah. And then that's usually when I ramp them up a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, you start upping the tension. Because it gets crazy. Like, And sometimes I just say something like that one, like the door opens. And in my mind, I haven't even decided what is opening the door mm-hmm. all i'm doing is the door opens something is complicated and then i wait to see what narratively will work yeah. in the scenario i mean it could be a ghost it could be right. enemy faction all number of things could be a cat yeah could be anything man. and it it works completely in the logic of the blades in the dark mechanics to not for the gm not to know what it is right like you're you're building the story as you play through it. Yeah, like we were saying, very narrative forward, f- fiction right. first, as they label it. Yeah, I know we haven't talked much about the mechanics, but I think that'll be something we will talk through a teeny bit more when we do a little playthrough for the the fans. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna release a playthrough not along with the episode, but uh, sometime very soon. Where Ian and I, Ian will be the GM, I'll be the player, and we'll just go through a very basic score the cool thing about blades is it's really meant for three to four people kind of like D&D but it works just as well for two people one on one oh yeah the thing is usually your player is much more conservative in their choices right and they're usually since it's only one person their successes are pretty great yeah when they succeed so as the GM I've learned this playing one-on-ones with Eric is if it's one-on-one, you might want to up the uh, consequences a little bit. Well, I think too, you could do more engagement roles or you could do more fortune roles just right. to add more chaos that 
the other players. If there's more players, you're going to have more chaos. Right. Oh, yeah, naturally. for sure. Um, couple of other things. One we've talked about uh, a bunch, which is clocks, which is basically just a circle with a number of slices in it. And you can do all kinds of things with clocks. Ian and I both love clocks. We use them in D&D all the time. And I think most people, most GMs, like if you look online, use clocks now. Yeah. That's just a thing. It's so simple conceptually. You can use it for so many things like the guards showing up when you're picking a lock, like how much time you have left. You can make it public so all the players can see. Uh, You can do all kinds of things with it. The clock mechanic is fun because, I mean, it ups tension in certain ways. Like you can have the players, oh, if you do this and this, I'm going to add two ticks to the clock. Right. It might only have four ticks, so it's like, shit. I like tying it to successes and failures. So, like, for instance, if the thief fails unlocking the safe okay that's two ticks on the clock right so you can up the tension by the results of their rolls and things like that yeah it's it's a fun mechanic yeah along with stress you also have trauma so if you stress out if you max out on stress you have to take a trauma which is like uh there's cold soft haunted uh uh, there's a couple of others but basically you have to take on some kind of like deep flaw in your psyche now that's irrevocable. You can't get rid of it. What's fun, though, is if you lean into that, you're awarded experience points. Yeah, you are. And I think I I had one character who was like a former kind of Navy SEAL type. There's no Navy SEALs, obviously, in Duskfall. But I was like, I think he should have the trauma of cold because he would just kill whoever. He just didn't care. Was that boom? Uh, it wasn't boom. It was... Um, it was coffee. Oh, that's right. I had the a, a Eastern Bloc guy named Coffee, and he would kill everyone. And he would just kill people. Yeah, everybody. And that's, again, like we said, killing people happens all the time. But, like, if you kill people, it alerts the spirit wardens. And they're coming. A bell starts to ring. Bling, 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 and bling. And, like, the spirit wardens are involved with the blue coats, which are like the cops. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it ups tension. If you, you can't just have people murdering. Well, you can, but, yeah. but there's consequences. There's consequences. For instance, if you pick assassins as your crew, you get, you can get certain abilities that don't make the bell go off. Right. For instance. So depending upon the crew you have, you can manipulate the world that has been set up. And some GMs listening might go, well, if they get that ability, then there's no bells anymore. And I go, yeah, but now there's ghosts because there's no one to get rid of the bodies. So, yeah, there's more ghosts. You make the world worse to live in. Right. You like change, it's yeah. very, very, again, very fiction forward. You can, uh, without being a dick, you, you know, you're trying to kill the players and they're trying to outdo whatever's happening. So I try to kill my players, but not like in this crazy way. I'm just like. I give them obstacles that are lethal, right? and they succeed. Ian definitely loves to focus on killing his players. That's not really my... I do. My my take on it. My take is more, I want them to be in the coolest criminal action movie ever. That's what I like. Well, let's also talk about the one play, uh, the one character I've been trying to kill for Oh, well, weeks. yeah. I mean, I have my character. Her, her name used to be Beast, but she's leveled up. Now her name is Monster, but she's just, she's got every skill. All her physical actions are maxed out, so they all have five dots. Like, she is a superhero or a super criminal, 
now yeah. and she's kind of almost unkillable i know she can die she she can still be killed but it's real hard for ian to to challenge her because she's a she's a Monster. She's a beast. Like yeah. I've put some pretty heavy consequences on her for stuff that happens, and she's pulled through. Yeah, each time. And I've never played a character that lo- has loved being in that world more than Monster. Right. She loves being a criminal. She loves being herself. She loves being in that city. It's it's uh it's a really interesting character to play. Super fun. So my my personal favorite. This one gets forgotten sometimes. <gasps> I just forgot about it, too. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I made a list of, like, here's some things we should talk about. And we've talked about it before. So flashbacks are one of my all-time favorite game mechanics, which it has to do with how you plan or how you don't plan, essentially. Because not only does the GM not plan for sessions, really, right. the players aren't really supposed to plan their scores, like, at all. Really what happens is you, you decide what you want to do, and then you're supposed to roll what's an engagement roll, which means we're going to see how well the, the score starts off because all the boring stuff in the middle, so like setting up and getting your gear and talking to your contacts, that's all just assumed. And kind of like a movie, once the score is set, the next scene is you're doing the score. Right. So kind of like, oh, opening, you know, opening shot of the next episode, oh, they're in the rain, they're on the rooftop, and they're, zi- they're going down zip lines. And if the GM rolls real bad, the zip lines snap and they fall into the canal or something, you know. And now the score has started. Yeah. And that's the first problem is you're now in the canal and not on the roof. You're now in the canal. So to balance that out, players have what are called flashbacks they can call for at any time. It's going to cost them some stress. Again, it's that resource they have to be mindful of. So let's say, you know, the players are in that situation. They're coming down the zip line in the heavy rain. GM rolls real low on his engagement roll. He rolls a two. Snap! And, you know, a couple of the lines, the rope they had gotten was just bad quality rope. Wasn't made well, especially in this rain. Snaps, they fall. They start to fall into the river, and my character, or me as a player, I call for a flashback. And I can say, well, actually, uh, when we were planning, before we actually went into the score... I actually made sure that I got this grappling hook that I could shoot. And Ian as a GM might be like, okay, well, that's very involved, so that's going to cost you four stress, which is like, ouch, that's a lot of stress. But I'm about to fall to my death, so I'm going to take it. And so as we're falling, we go back into it. There's no rounds or anything like there is in D&D if you're in combat. I'm able to pull this object that I didn't have before out, you know, shoot it at the... uh, the building ahead and you know potentially save my save my own skin right so flashbacks are very creative very cool way to get people out of that pitfall in dnd where a play party wants to spend two hours planning this this assault on this castle and none of the plans are actually going to work because they don't know what's on the other side of the castle wall right so they're planning for stuff that it doesn't actually exist that the gm hasn't planned for essentially um, so I love flashbacks. They're great. For me, that is a thing in D&D that I have grown to dislike heavily. Ian hates it. If it's planning, I'm cool with some. But like once you start getting into this like crazy minutia of stuff, I'm like, dude, stop. There's yeah. no way that we know any of this is even going to happen. Yeah. Let's get a basic plan going. 
Go with it. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. That's my thing is I don't want to spend two hours talking about us going through this window. Yeah. And what are we going to do when the guards show up? And can the window support me? And now we're saying things to the GM. And I'm like, quit talking, dude. The GM wasn't even thinking about this stuff. And now he is. A lot of people who play D&D hate, hate that planning. But we do have some players that we play with who love planning. Oh, they love it. So... As a GM, you have to, you know, you have to let people do what they want to do, but make sure everybody's happy. But flashbacks are a genius way to cope with, hey, no, you don't get to do that. Right. Like react to what's happening in the moment. And then you can go, oh, by the way, when we were planning the thing we didn't do, I I had the perfect tool for this specific situation. Right. <laughs> Again, it's much more cinematic and over the top and ridiculous, but man, is it fun. It's really, really cool. Oh, it's so fun. And it, it creates a lot of interesting moments and some people be like thinking to themselves, well, if they can just flash back to all of this stuff, what's the point? Well, the point is they don't always succeed. Plus, if you keep doing crazy things with your flashbacks, that's going to cost you stress and you only have like out. 10 stress and you're done. So you do you're two out. things, you're out at the beginning of the score. That's true. So it's not unlimited. So I think that's a good just broad overview of Blades. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think stopping on flashbacks is good because it is one of the really fun mechanics of the game. Super fun. Yeah, Devil's Bargain and flashbacks, I think, are the most sexy, like, ooh, that's a cool thing. For those that listen, when we do the actual play of this, we'll definitely be throwing in flashbacks, and I will definitely have some Devil's Bargains. (laughs) Yeah, we'll try to feature those, yeah. Kind of my last thought on, not necessarily closing thought, but my last thought on Blades, which kind of just hit me, is that you're playing these really selfish characters and you're in a selfish world. It's very uh, Darwinian in terms of it's full-on survival of the fittest. Oh, yeah. Whoever is only the strong survive and you better stab, you know, your ally in the back first chance you get because they're going to do the same to you. However the game really gets people to work as a team better which i think is an interesting dynamic which is where D D is supposed to be more party focused but it ends up being a bit more selfish most of the time blades is all about group play you have a group character sheet which i think is again another genius move to get people focused on the group as a whole rather than themselves it's really Mm. cool and so i love that about blades is the encouragement of group play we're all in this together we're trying to we we're trying to achieve the same explicit goals that we've uh, as the player we as the players have set like oh for instance in the current blades campaign we sat down as a crew and we said we want to take over this whole district which is the docks and that's where all the ships come into that's where all the leviathan blood gets put onto land we want to take that over and have a monopoly on it so everyone has to pay us to get their stuff you know so i just love that about blades in the dark it is phenomenally cool it's fun yeah it's a fun game i definitely have loved running it Mm -hmm. uh, especially since it doesn't it doesn't take a huge resource in my mind to do planning if i do planning because it's a lot of the my favorite kind of planning which is finding cool stuff that they might find out that they could possibly be like oh i like this npc let's make him this right and i'm just putting him in the world and let's see if the players find him and right they've they've found quite a few of the things i planned months ago right and they've just started running into it so it's been super cool to see and you can literally 
the NPC can be a name, and you can give them like one trait, and that's it. Yep. You don't have to do anything else. But it's uh, it's it's real fun. I, Super I quite fun. enjoy it. And I think the the takeaway is play different kinds of games, people. Yeah. Like they all have really cool stuff, and you will get different types of stories and experiences from it. Another one that I really want to play is Ten Candles, which is a totally different type of game, which you're going to lose in the end. And the way that it's structured is completely off the charts different, and it seems amazing. seems really, really cool. And you literally have candles that burn down as you're playing, and when they are snuffed out, that's the end of the game. And it's, it's just really interesting. That's cool. I'm always down to check it out. Play games, people. Love each other. Play them. Consensually. You say And uh, stay shveti. Shveti? Shveti. Like, subscribe.